Adams on Agriculture brought to you by Cenex Premium Diesel. Cenex Premium Diesel, a more complete additive package for a more complete burn. Informing America's farmers and ranchers, it's Adams on Agriculture. Produced by the American Ag Radio Network. Here's your host, Mike Adams. Hello, everyone, and welcome to Adams on Agriculture. Thank you for joining us and letting us be part of your day. Here's what we're going to be talking about today, getting ready for the talks with China. And both sides have kind of um, done some downplaying. We've heard the president uh, say that he's not interested really in getting a, a mini deal or, you know, just a... Uh, restricted deal say like the japan deal was done with agriculture he wants still to go for the big comprehensive uh, uh, deal there have been some concerns on the china side but they're saying they're coming anyway so the talks are on what can we expect we'll talk about that with dave salmonson with the american farm bureau federation we'll take a look today at a challenge to a california law california voters last year approved a ballot initiative known as Proposition 12 that mandates larger cage-free spaces for breeding pigs, veal calves, and egg-laying hens. But the law also means that any out-of-state producers have to meet those same standards in order to be able to sell their products in California. Well, the North American Meat Institute is challenging that in court, and we'll get an update from Mark Dopp with the North American Meat Institute. And we'll get a harvest report today from eastern Kansas. Ken McCauley will join us, find out how much uh, harvesting has been done in his area so far and how it's going. But we're going to start things off by talking it over with Todd Neely from DTN. Todd, how are you? Hi, Mike. Good morning. Um, Been interesting to see the reaction to the uh, administration's biofuels plan. And uh, at first blush, uh, most in the biofuels industry seem uh, happy. That seems to be a step in the right direction. But there are a lot of questions, a lot of details we still don't have answers to yet. Yeah, absolutely, Mike. You know, I think uh, I think had people known what EPA was going to release and what the White House was going to release on this, I think by and large, uh, there's no doubt people are are pleased with what with what came out. I think. Uh, you know, the fact that this proposal will stop, basically stop the bleeding on the small refinery exemptions, I think is, is huge. Uh, obviously, it's not going to make up for what's already been lost. You know, we had 85 some or so waivers to, uh, to the RFS uh, since 2016. And so um, I think, though, that going forward, the fact that EPA is going to account for uh, what, what wave gallons are going to be there, you know, through a three-year rolling average, I think that's a great thing. Um, but you're right, the devil is in the details, and I think, uh, you know, there, there's talk also of uh, the exemption starting in 2020 with the current RFS, uh, the RVOs, and uh, I'm not sure how that's going to work out, but um, I, I do think, though, that, um, you know, this kind of meets kind of meets all the expectations that uh, basically both sides had. I mean, if you, look at, if you look at what the oil industry and the refiners have been saying, they wanted low RIN prices. Well, we've had low RIN prices for a while. Uh, and don't really see that changing a whole lot going forward at the moment. Uh, but definitely, I think, uh, you know, once we see all the details of the plan uh, and, the you know, the years going ahead, I think that it's going to probably bring some certainty to the RFS that uh, has been lacking. Still have to go through a rulemaking process with EPA. That always makes me somewhat nervous. <laughs> yeah, uh, you know, that's, that's very true. I think... Uh, 
you know, the EPA has got to get this right. I mean, we've seen on several occasions different rules that, that the agency has gone through, and, uh, uh, you know, it's a lot of times the agency's taken the court on how it follows procedure and that sort of thing. So you're right. It's kind of like with this agreement, it's a very good, you know, it's a good thing. But on the other hand, you want to see it carried out in a way that will stand up in court. And I think that's, uh, you know, that's yet to be seen as long as the agency follows the public comment period and, and goes through all the hoops. I, I, I don't see anything happening, although there will be some sort of legal challenge. I mean, that's just the way things go. Um, but you're right, getting that thing to a final rule and, and moving it to where it needs to go, I mean, that's a, that's a totally different thing than, than having an announcement uh, talking about doing it. And also, it's kind of interesting, it looked like this would um, get that level at 15 billion gallons and and protect the integrity of the 15 billion rather than see it eroded because of, of waivers. But now the president's been using the figure of 16 billion. Yeah, I'm, I'm not really sure where he's going on that, to be honest. I know that, uh, you know, there have to be a lot of assumptions there if we got the 16 billion gallons, and one of those being that, uh, there just wouldn't be any small, uh, small refinery exemptions at all going forward, and I don't think that's going to be the case. I think, uh, you know, we're in a new pattern here where it's going to be, you know, 35 or 40 at least every year, uh, and that's the whole, you know, that's the whole impetus for, for this announcement. Um, so, yeah, I, I think 16 billion gallons is something the industry can definitely produce, but um, I don't see that materializing in the RFS, honestly. Yep, so we'll see what happens. We're talking with Todd Neely with DTN. Todd, all eyes on the talks uh, coming up with China. Uh, we, just, we just saw the president sign the U.S.-Japan trade deal yesterday, and, and we, that seems like a good model. You can kind of narrow in on certain issues and get a kind of a mini deal done, but President Trump doesn't seem to want to do that with China. Yeah, absolutely not. You know, and, and China, you know, looking on the other side, too, China, uh, it's obviously interested in our ag products. You know, they've been buying soybeans and pork and different things. Um, I don't think that they want to even go into a mini agreement unless they get their side of it, you know, which is all this stuff about intellectual property, all these things that the Chinese um, are fighting for on their side of it. Uh, I think I don't see that happening. I don't think there's going to be a mini deal, although, uh, you know, when you look at the situation, both sides, I think, want some sort of resolution, at least something maybe, you know, scaling back on the tariffs or maybe the rhetoric going back and forth, whatever that may be, I think both sides are at a point where they kind of want to maybe calm the waters a little bit. Um, so maybe, if anything, the talk this week, maybe something on tariffs, whether it be cutting back the tariffs or freezing tariff increases, whatever it may be, um, maybe that's most likely what we might be able to expect this week. We know there's a, a need on China's part, uh, because of African swine fever and some other uh, issues. But I wonder if they now see, with the impeachment proceedings going on, if that kind of uh, emboldens them to, to hang on even longer and see what happens. Yeah, I mean, that is a great point. You know, I think uh, the politics of, of what's going on domestically certainly affects, you know, the talks between China, between Chinese and the U.S., uh, I, I don't know that on the substance of it, though, how much that's going to really play into it. You know, it might be, as you said, it might be on the Chinese side. They look at that as as a bit of a bargaining chip, uh, what's going on with the president. But, um, you know, this has been going on for quite some time, and I don't know whether the domestic side of this is going to matter all that much in the end. I think it's going to be China wants this, United States wants that. And I, I think uh, 
at this point, there's been no signs that either side's really going to give all that much. Um, although, you know, the Chinese need our products, our ag products, and, and uh, maybe they're willing to come to the table here and look at this a little bit differently. We'll soon see. Thanks a lot, Todd. Good to talk with you. All right. Thank you, Mike. Take care. DTN reporter Todd Neely. Well, we'll continue on that topic of the of trade talks. Dave Salmonson of the American Farm Bureau Federation joins us next. His thoughts on what we may see or not see in these uh, talks with China. Uh, also, the signing yesterday of the U.S.-Japan deal. And still going to talk about USMCA and what's going on with the EU. Trade problems there between the U.S. and the EU. We'll go over all that next on AOA. Adams on Agriculture, brought to you by Cenex Premium Diesel. Cenex Premium Diesel, diesel that doesn't mess around. The sounds of success vary from person to person. Success sounds like this to a credence soybean grower. Along with 43 new varieties this year, credence soybeans come with agronomic expertise from BASF. That means expert advisors who bring local insights on seed selection, management decisions, and crop protection options. Knowing the kind of success you're shooting for? That's smart. Ask your local BASF seed advisor about credence soybeans. Always read and follow label directions. Wake up and text. Text and eat. Text and catch the bus. Text and miss your stop. Wait, 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 wait. Text and be late to work. Sorry, I'm late. Text and work. Text and pretend to work. Text and act surprised when someone calls you out for not working. <clears throat> Who, me? Text and meet up with a friend you haven't seen in forever. Hi. Oh, hey. Text and complain that they're on their phone the whole time. <sighs> Text and listen to them complain that you're on your phone the whole time. Ugh. Text and whatever. But when you get behind the wheel, give your phone to a passenger. Put it in the glove box. Just don't text and drive. Visit StopTextsStopRex.org. A public service announcement brought to you by the National Highway Traffic Safety Administration and the Ad Council. Adams on Agriculture is brought to you by Cenex Premium Diesel. With Cenex Premium Diesel, you can count on a diesel that will keep your operation in top shape. Information America's farmers and ranchers need to know. Adams on Agriculture. Now, back to Mike Adams. Well, let's talk trade now with Dave Salmonson, Senior Director, Congressional Relations for the American Farm Bureau Federation. Dave, thanks for joining us. We'll start with U.S.-Japan. President signed the deal yesterday. A lot of ag groups uh, represented at that signing. What are we hearing uh, as far as when that will be approved in Japan? Well, we're hearing that it's going to move right along. Uh, their parliament uh, can take it up. Uh, in fact, has started some of the preliminary uh, work on that uh, right now. And we're looking to have a vote, uh, I believe, by the end of this month and then go through their process of implementing. You know, countries have to do that. But it's still looking like <clears throat> now that it would be on track to go into effect on January 1st of 2020. And so we could start uh, seeing the benefits of that uh, towards the very beginning of next year. 
you know, I like that model, that concept of zero in on, an, on you know, in this case, agriculture and do the so-called mini deal. Kind of was hoping we could do something that would China, but uh, President Trump doesn't seem to be inclined to go that direction. Well, uh, the, you know, the China deal, um, depending what it's in it or not, um, isn't a full-blown free trade agreement. Um, we don't anything to do with Congress on it, haven't notified them, don't have all these many, like up to 30 chapters. It is focused on a few things. China would like it to be focused on less than what the U.S. would like it to be focused on. The U.S. side, the president still wants to address the uh, technology transfer issues, international property protection, cybersecurity, which is such a big issue uh, across the spectrum. So um, along with, you know, the reason behind doing the tariffs and all of this was to both impact the trade deficit we currently have with China and to bring pressure to have China talk about these other issues. On their side, Chinese, at least from what we read, are coming to uh, the negotiations this week in Washington, wanting to focus this more narrowly on the tariffs and purchases. Now, we're all interested in the ag purchases, and we'd like to roll back some of the tariffs, uh, but there is uh, definitely uh, two different goals at work. Uh, I guess that's why, you know, if you had an agreement, you wouldn't have to have negotiations. So uh, uh, they need to get back at it. After all this time, it seems like in some ways we're still at square one with the major differences uh, between the two on, you know, the intellectual property and some of those issues. Have we made any progress in those areas at all? Well, it's hard to see from the outside that we've made any progress. There are some indications that China is, at least making attempts to deal with the uh, at least the uh, technology transfer issue. They've uh, done some measures which would lighten up a little bit on foreign companies, um, U.S. or wherever around the world, actually owning Chinese companies. They haven't really allowed that so far. So you might say they're making some gestures along that way, maybe hoping that if they do a little bit, that'll be enough. But I think there's still a lot more that has to be, uh, has to be worked out where you'd have anything that the U.S. side would think was really substantive and ultimately really had the backing of the Chinese government. So uh, a lot riding uh, on the beginning of these negotiations this week. Pretty safe to assume there's not going to be an agreement reached this week, but what would be considered a success? I mean, in the past, we've we've called it positive if they just agree to talk again another time. I mean, is is that all we're we're hoping for here? I mean, is is that the realistic expectations, or what would you think could come from this? Yeah, after all this time, I think we're hoping for a lot more. We're hoping that there would be something substantive on the other issues. We're hoping that we could see announcements of some of these tariffs being rolled back. I mean, what we've had so far all along since most of this began in the beginning of 2018 was steadily escalating tariffs, covering more products, some increases. Uh, The president did say that a scheduled increase from 25 to 30 percent on $200 billion of Chinese imports that started last year uh, would not go into effect. It was supposed to go into effect October 1st. He delayed it a few weeks to October 15th. I assume if the talks keep going well, that could certainly be further delayed. But those are the kind of signals that are being sent back and forth. If we have progress, we'll at least stop the escalation of tariffs. 
Maybe over time we can start, you know, start de-escalating. You might say rolling some of them back, um, taking the pressure off and the uh, differences we have. So maybe we can sell more uh, ag products into China. But we just haven't seen that kind of movement yet. Um, so, again, we have a, a lot of hopes for these talks. Um, nobody's expecting them to be brief. I think once they've, if this is a really solid restart, I think uh, we'd expect these to go on for several weeks. So after all this time, I guess where we're at is we consider it a success if it doesn't get any worse. Yeah, well, that may be. That may be at this point. Uh, certainly hoping we get uh, get a lot more than that. But we, uh, you know, the more you keep adding on tariffs, the more you have to take down later. So we just at least, uh, you know, it seems like a minimum requirement to at least stop the escalation. Um, and start to talk about getting to a better trade relationship with uh, what was one of our biggest markets and still is a market that uh, we have great hopes of uh, recovering and improving on. Do you think the impeachment proceedings going on here impact the talks at all? Oh, I have no idea how, how that will be. I mean, everybody reads the same papers and listens to the same TV shows, but uh, hopefully... As uh, like saying Washington, this can stay in its own lane. Let's hope, but we will see. Uh, I just wonder if it, if it emboldens the Chinese to think, well, we're more apt to just want to wait, see, wait, what, see what happens, and wait it out. And uh, on the other hand, I wonder if it puts more pressure on President Trump to to get a deal and to show some progress, and and like he did with U.S. Japan. Yeah. Yeah, you know, well, things have been delayed even before, long before all this started and this, uh, this relationship has gone. So um, I guess we'll only be able to look back and tease out what impact this had, if has any, uh, from, from the future. Yep. Meanwhile, is this a, a new trade war that's now ongoing with the EU, or is it too soon to call it that? Well, it certainly is another another place. Now, what's going on in starting, uh, I think it will be October 18th, the U.S. is authorized from the WTO case. It's been ongoing for these last 15 years uh, between the U.S. and the European Union over subsidies to aircraft manufacturers, Boeing in the U.S. side and Airbus for the EU side. Um, the WTO found for the U.S. saying that uh, the EU was illegally subsidizing Airbus, authorized uh, tariffs if necessary to get the e pressure the EU to change their ways. So, you know, there would be ongoing discussions, but in the meantime, the U.S. can put tariffs on up to, I think, about $8 billion, um, including on a variety of ag products. Of course, the uh, major thing will be on, on aircraft and aircraft parts, but there will be some uh, tariffs put on things like French imports of French wines, Italian cheeses, you know, Spanish olives, things like that, all kinds of products from the EU that are, that are meant to uh, help pressure the EU to come to the table for uh, further talks. So uh, that could get started uh, very soon and will add to some of the tensions we already have with the European Union uh, on trade issues. And back to USMCA. What are you hearing about the chances of it being voted on this year? Yeah. Well, they're still there. The negotiating groups are uh, from the House Democrats, still engaging with uh, the Office of the U.S. Trade Representative. I know the principals, the nine uh, members of that group, have met directly with Ambassador Lighthizer. Of course, now they're on their two-week recess. Uh, staff talks go on when all the principals come back into town next week. Uh, 
Uh, we're looking for more meetings, and we really want to see them wrap up, uh, come to an agreement on an implementing bill that the administration can send to Congress and move that along. Um, we know that the fall is a busy time. We certainly have all the appropriations and budget-related issues that uh, will really come up, especially in November, December. Uh, so we want to get this done. I, I still think it can happen. Uh, we just have to keep pushing on it and uh, hope that it uh, and keep uh, making the groundwork so that it can get done. Yeah, and there aren't that many days in session left in the year, so that uh, adds to the uh, the pressure of getting that done. All right, Dave, we'll see what happens with these uh, talks with China this week. Thank you very much. Yeah, thank you. Dave Salmonson, Senior Director, Congressional Relations for the American Farm Bureau Federation. All right, so California voters last year approved their Proposition 12 that mandates bigger cage-free spaces for breeding pigs, veal calves, and egg-laying hens. But it also means that any out-of-state producer who wants to sell into California has to meet those same standards. That's being challenged in court by the North American Meat Institute. We'll talk with their senior vice president and general counsel next on AOA. Cenex Premium Diesel comes with a more complete additive package for a more complete burn to optimize performance in all engines. The sounds of success vary from person to person. Success sounds like this to a Credence soybean grower. Along with 43 new varieties this year, Credence soybeans come with agronomic expertise from BASF. That means expert advisors who bring local insights on seed selection, management decisions, and crop protection options. Knowing the kind of success you're shooting for? That's smart. Ask your local BASF seed advisor about Credence soybeans. Always read and follow label directions. Adams on Agriculture brought to you by Cenex Premium Diesel. Cenex Premium Diesel, a more complete additive package for a more complete burn. Information America's farmers and ranchers need to know. Adams on Agriculture. Now back to Mike Adams. Well, when one state passes a law or proposition, as in this case in California with Proposition 12, it can certainly impact uh, those in other states wanting to do business in uh, that particular state. In this case, California voters passed Proposition 12 last year that uh, mandates larger cage-free spaces for breeding pigs, veal calves, and egg-laying hens, but also means if you're an out-of-state producer and you want to sell into that state, into that market, then you have to meet those same standards. The North American Meat Institute is uh, challenging that in court. Joining us now is Mark Dopp, Senior Vice President and General Counsel for the National uh, for the North American Meat Institute. Mark, thank you for joining us. Um, obviously, this impacts uh, producers all across the country, right? Anyone that wants to do business in California. Uh, good morning, and thanks for having me. Yes, that's correct. Um, anybody who wants to sell uh, uncooked cuts of pork or veal um, is going to have to think long and hard about whether they want to uh, comply with the Proposition 12 requirements on space and, and the turnaround provision. Now, you have, you're challenging this. The North American Meat Institute is asking federal court to halt the implementation of the law. What's your basis for asking for that complaint, uh, for, that, uh, for that stoppage of the implementation of uh, Prop 12? 
You're right. We've, we have filed a motion asking the court to enjoin the implementation. The, the grounds are we believe that Proposition 12 violates the Constitution. Specifically, we think it conflicts with the Commerce Clause. You know, the Commerce Clause is intended to give the federal government the ability to, to restrict or, or govern, regulate the flow of interstate commerce and not the states. And we think that uh, Proposition 12 impedes the free flow of commerce, specifically here, you know, pork and veal. So basically saying that in this case, a state, California, would be dictating farming practices across the country to producers in states that uh, do not have the similar requirements. That's exactly right. Uh, we think that, that the state of California, the state of California has the right to tell the producers in that state how they should raise pigs or how they should raise veal calves. But we don't think the state of California has the, uh, has the authority under the Constitution to tell hog producers and veal producers in Minnesota and Iowa and Missouri and North Carolina, Pennsylvania, wherever else, how they should be raising their livestock. Nor do we think that um, the state of California ought to be able to put up a barrier and prohibit the sale of, those, of the meat from those animals in California if, if, like I said, some producer in Minnesota or Wisconsin doesn't meet the 24 or 43 square foot uh, requirements. Well, what if, I mean, could the court come back and say, well, just don't sell into that market. That's your choice. Don't sell there. That's an, I suppose the court might think that, but, you know, you have to recognize that, that California is, a, I think, don't hold me to this exactly, but if I remember correctly, if California was a country unto itself, it would probably be about the seventh or eighth largest GDP in the world. And this, is exa- this kind of barrier to entry is exactly what why the Constitution, why the Commerce Clause exists. The you know this idea that well just don't sell here ignores the reality of the marketplace. We're talking with Mark Dopp, he's senior vice president and general counsel for the North American Meat Institute. Uh, so Mark, under Prop 12, calves have to have 43 square feet of floor space by 2020. Pigs are required to have 24 square feet starting in 2022 hens would have one square foot by next year and be cage free by 2022 i think even even those in the state of california are predicting this would uh probably bring on an increase in prices for for products wouldn't it there is no doubt that this is going if it goes into effect that this will result in california consumers paying more for veal for pork and for, for eggs in fact, uh, this is a ballot initiative, so it, it didn't really go through the traditional legislative process, the, the, you know, the give-and-take hearings. There was one hearing held on this issue because the law requires it, and that, hit, that hearing was dedicated almost solely to how, how this is going to have an adverse impact on, on prices. It's going to increase prices for California consumers. That's all the legislatures were talking about. Um, so there's, it, it, is, it is undoubtedly going to raise the price of pork and veal and eggs and, and you made the comment earlier about the, the time frames. Uh, there is a turnaround provision as well in the law. It says that the animal has to be able to stand up, turn around, etc. Well, when California put that in place uh, on its own about seven or eight years ago, it gave California producers six years to comply with that requirement. Here they've given the veal and hog producers in other states two months. Yeah, and producers have to decide whether to uh, incur the expense of changing their uh, their operations or perhaps go out of business. That could lead to temporary and even longer-term shortfalls, couldn't it, because of uh, 
those that would drop out of the business or those that are going to stay in and comply, it's going to take a while for them to change their operations. Well, if if you look at what the hog producers and veal producers have done over the last decade, there have been a lot of investments to move to group housing. Uh, The veal industry has changed remarkably in the last decade. They've invested tens of millions, if not hundreds of millions of dollars to change how they do business. Now California is basically saying you're going to have to change again. So you're forcing producers to either build new barns or take livestock out of the barns that they've just that they've just built, and and are, and are still paying for. By the way, is there also a concern here, Mark, that this sets a precedent? We could see this happen in other states and uh, in other ways. Well, that's one of the reasons. Yes, the answer is yes. That's one of the reasons we brought the case. It's one thing for a large state with a great deal of economic power like California to bring uh, to you know enact something like Proposition 12, but but we are equally concerned that other jurisdictions, maybe it's the state of Oregon or the state of Washington or the city of Chicago or the city of New York, other entities with a fair amount of economic clout, might decide that you know California had a good idea, but they didn't get it right, and now it's going to be 26 square feet or it's going to be something else. I mean. I said before, this is exactly why the Articles of Confederation failed back in the 1790s. The Commerce Clause was put in the Constitution so that the so that the states didn't have the ability to impede the free flow of commerce, and that's exactly what this law does. So at the North American Media Institute, you've asked a federal court to halt implementation of Proposition 12. Where does that stand? When? How soon do you think you'll get a ruling on this? Well, um, we have asked the court to set a date for a hearing. We're hopeful that that will happen in the early to middle part of November, uh, perhaps as soon as November 18. How quickly the court will rule after that hearing date um, is really hard to say. I've learned enough over the years to not speculate about what courts will or will not do. Uh, but we are hoping, again, that we, get, that we have a hearing. I, th- I think it's going to be on the 18th, but I'm not sure. Um, and we need, it, we need a ruling pretty quickly because, as you mentioned before, uh, the uh, usable force space requirement with respect to veal calves, which is a massive amount of 43 square feet, uh, goes into effect in less than three months. Are producers, do you know, uh, have you talked with producers in California? Are they, have they, some of them started making these changes already or others waiting to see what happens? I think producers all across the country are trying to decide. You've got to, they have to decide, am I going to make the investment? Um, am I going to build new buildings? Am I, can I afford to take animals out of the production space today in order to satisfy those, those space requirements? Uh, these are decisions that you can't make at the drop of a hat. I mean, like I said before, the veal and pork industries have spent probably hundreds of millions of dollars over the past decade you know, making investments in the best way to raise veal, the best way to raise pigs. And we think that we think that producers in the states like Minnesota, Iowa, are in the best position to decide how those pigs, how those veal calves ought to be raised, and not the people in the state of California. As you mentioned, it's hard to predict uh, how quickly the uh, court system will move. And uh, but then there's always a possibility you get a ruling, the appeal it, is there an injunction in place while that's being worked out? Uh, so there are a lot of uh, legal uh, courses this could take before it's all said and done. That, that's exactly right. This could take a while. It's, it's just, 
like I said, I don't speculate about what happens in the judicial system anymore. But obviously, uh, this this is an issue of great importance uh, because of the impact felt all across the country. And as I said earlier, for the possibility of it setting a precedence, uh, that's why I think sometimes maybe people in other states think, well, that's California. They do what they want to do out there. They're different than the rest of us. But it does impact the rest of the country. That's, no, that's exactly right. It, it will have a significant impact on, on producers in in North Carolina, in Pennsylvania, product moves from Pennsylvania and is sold in California. Product moves from from North Carolina and is sold in Cal- in California. So the fact that this is California, if people think that this isn't going to have an effect on them, um, they'd be they're mistaken. All right, Mark, we'll be watching this closely and see what happens and uh, how quickly uh, things will move. But as you said, uh, with those dates uh, pending uh, coming up pretty quickly. Uh, need some uh, answers soon. We'll watch it and we'll talk again. Okay, thank you. Very well, thank you. All right, that is Mark Dopp, Senior Vice President and General Counsel for the North American Meat Institute. They are challenging in court California's Proposition 12, which uh, mandates larger cage-free spaces for breeding pigs, veal calves, and egg-laying hens, and also means if you are a producer anywhere else in the country and would want to sell into that marketplace, you would have to meet those same standards for your production. So we'll see how that plays out now in the court system. Coming up next, another harvest update. We're going to go to eastern Kansas. We'll talk it over with Ken McCauley, see how much harvesting has been done in his area and how things are going. That's coming up next here on AOA. Adams on Agriculture, brought to you by Cenex Premium Diesel. Cenex Premium Diesel, diesel that doesn't mess around. Have you written a book and want to get it published? Then call Page Publishing at 800-955-4538 immediately. That's 800-955-4538. Page Publishing is looking for authors of all types of books. And unlike most publishers, Page Publishing will take the time to review each and every book submitted to them and give you their feedback. If they like what they read, they'll get your book into bookstores and for sale online at Amazon, the Apple iTunes Store, Barnes & Noble, and other outlets. They handle everything, editing, cover design, copyright protection, printing, publicity, and distribution. So if you've written a novel, children's book, cookbook, inspirational work, poetry, or a biography and want to get it published, then you need to call Page Publishing and do it immediately. Call 800-955-4538 now for your free author submission kit. Again, for your free author submission kit, call 800-955-4538. That's 800-955-4538. Your road to fame and fortune could very well start with this simple phone call. Call Page Publishing at 800-955-4538 for your free author submission kit. Take a look under your bed. Find stuff under there? What about jobs? No? Now try your basement. There's a pair of overalls that overall you're not so into anymore. A perfectly good laptop that hasn't sat in your lap in months. And even more stuff, but still no jobs? Well, you really have both. See, stuff is defined as household articles considered as a group. Sometimes this stuff is no longer needed. Wait, no longer needed? That can't be right. Because remember those jobs you were looking for? Those are really needed, and they're the stuff inside your stuff even inside that winter coat that moved with you to Phoenix. Our job is to unlock those jobs, and it starts when you donate your stuff to your local Goodwill. Here's how we do it. 
When you donate to Goodwill, we sell your stuff to provide job training for people right here in your community. So just by teaming up with Goodwill, you help create jobs. And isn't that worth parting with the leftover keytar from your 80s cover band? Goodwill. Donate stuff, create jobs. Find your nearest donation center at goodwill.org. A message from Goodwill and the Ad Council. The sounds of success vary from person to person. Success sounds like this to a credenced soybean grower. Along with 43 new varieties this year, Credence Soybeans come with agronomic expertise from BASF. That means expert advisors who bring local insights on seed selection, management decisions, and crop protection options. Knowing the kind of success you're shooting for? That's smart. Ask your local BASF seed advisor about Credence Soybeans. Always read and follow label directions. Adams on Agriculture is brought to you by Cenex Premium Diesel. With Cenex Premium Diesel, you can count on a diesel that will keep your operation in top shape. Information America's farmers and ranchers need to know. Adams on Agriculture. Now, back to Mike Adams. Well, let's get another harvest report. This time we go to eastern Kansas, check in with Ken McCauley. Ken, good to talk with you again. How are things going in your area? Oh, going good, Mike. Good to be here. uh, Things are getting hectic. We finally got at least a three-day stretch of decent weather. We got back in the field yesterday picking corn and there's some guys uh, getting their uh, flex heads on, getting ready to try some beans today. But we're selling corn, and the corn's, corn's yielding good, standing good on our place anyway. There's a little bit of down corn around, but uh, well, it's uh, nice to see the sunshine. How much do you have done so far? We've, uh, we're getting close to half done with our corn. Uh, we're still running the dryer, and, and it's corn's getting down, uh, oh, 20 there's some guys with some 16, 17 moisture corn around, but uh, we're we're just being happy being able to run the dryer. But uh, the you know the corn seems to be drying down you know naturally a little better than we thought it was going to early. But uh, we're we're uh, running the dryer and it was empty this morning. That's always a good sign. Mm-hmm. Um, would you say yields, considering the year, have been a pretty good? Yields are, are better than better than we thought. Uh, some 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 of our yields are better than we've ever had. But well, if you and that's on the the good ground that didn't have any wet spots. But if you get over the hill or where you had a problem problem in the spring with a wet spot, uh, it sure takes the yield down. Uh, you know, we're, we've had yields running from uh, 125 clear up to 240. So we're you know they're really really amazing that you could do that. But uh, you know, these were planted, you know, on time. The whole field got planted and, uh, you know, good hybrids and all that. But overall, I'd say we're, we're better off than we thought we were going to be. I was going to ask you, when did you get your planting done? Uh, what was your earliest planting? What was your latest? We started uh, just the uh, second week of April and, and just went straight through. Uh, we got lucky and planted the, the ground that got wet. We got that in early enough. And that really helped, I think. There's some corn around here. We saw a uh, small patch that the guy planted 4th of July. That corn last week, the milk line was half down on it. And it doesn't look too bad, but it's going to be light. But it pollinated good. Nice-looking corn. There aren't too many fields like that around. 
We're talking with Kim McCauley, who farms in eastern Kansas. All right, let's talk about these beans. You're just uh, out to get into those beans in your area. A lot of questions there. What are you expecting? Any idea? I think we're, you know, <laughs> we're just really lucky to live in this part of the world. It's, we don't don't have a lot of problems, but the beans all went in pretty good. There's some guys did the early beans again, and they're, you know, it looks to me like guys are going to start moving to the earlier beans because they're they're rolling out really good. Uh, you know, anywhere between sixty and seventy, and uh, there hasn't been enough beans cut to really say, but they all look really good, and and I'm sure we're going to find out here in the next couple of days just how good they really are. But I'm I'm looking for somewhere sixty and above. You probably don't have to go too far out of your area though to see uh, conditions change pretty dramatically. Yeah, and you know, Mike, you go west of here, ten miles, and those guys had a terrible time getting things in. And I think when you or south also, but when you get into the later stuff, it just depends on how it went in. If you took your time and and waited for the whole thing, you were into July, and that's not good either. But you go south, they had all that flooding, and those guys replanted some things. And I think if the frost holds off, you know, we're probably going to be in pretty good shape there. But it's Sure sounds like we're going to get some frost even in this area here by the weekend. I was going to ask you, what is your forecast for the next week? I saw Kansas City's predicting 34, but uh, I saw Susan Littlefield already had frost. Maryville, Missouri had frost yesterday morning on on some uh, rooftops, things like that. So I'm thinking we're going to get a good good freeze here uh, sometime. Like I think they're talking Friday night or Saturday night. And, uh, you know, sometimes that stretches makes the weather straighten out so our, our soybeans could sure use a good freeze that that help them go through better hmm. uh so on the corn stock quality good i mean it's standing good yes our corn we haven't i mean a little bit of the corn got too much rain you know you had a few a few uh, broken off from from too much moisture but we had some with some wind damage uh, on on some neighbor's fields and that went through okay and still yielded good. But, you know, overall, the crop's standing good. And they had, we had some 63-pound test weight yesterday. And I think that's going to be, you know, pretty common. 60 and above around here is going to be pretty common. But that later corn, you can sure tell it's going gonna, it's gonna to have test weight issues. Mm-hmm. What about disease and insect pressures this year? What kind of year did you have? Overall, it was really good. We sprayed, I think, all of our beans for fungicide and about oh, a third or half of the corn, and you can tell where you did it. It, it seems that corn's really healthy, held the moisture a little longer, but, you know, that's that's not all bad either. Uh, the the thing I've noticed is that the corn that, that did get stressed and soybeans too, you can tell that the way they're maturing. It's, it's a little different. You see that the uh, wet spots lost some in and, and probably thinner, so... It really took off of the yield on the stuff we had with those wet wet areas. Yeah, what kind of weather did you have around pollination time? We were worrying about things. Uh, you know, we were wanting to rain 4th of July, and some areas got it. But you can't really tell the difference today on those areas that got it or not. It's all in the soil type. But uh, we were stressed there in July, but the, the crops held on pretty good. Then we started getting wetter, and now... Now we want it to stop. We we need 30 days of dry, and that, that, I think everybody would appreciate that. But I hear that uh, AGP in St. Joe is, is pretty full, and we're going to have problems delivering beans when everybody gets to cut beans 
here in the next couple of weeks. So I don't know how how that's going to go, but I was surprised to hear that they're still pretty full. All right, Ken. Well, good to hear from you, and uh, uh, glad to hear things are going pretty well in your area, and we'll wish you the best uh, for the rest of your harvest. Have a safe one, okay? Well, thanks, Mike. Good to talk to you. Good to talk to you again. Ken McCauley Farms in eastern Kansas. We'll continue with our harvest reports from around the country. Also tomorrow, I'll be previewing uh, this week's big USDA crop report. Lots to talk about. Hope you'll join us again tomorrow right here on AOA. AOA.